So I have a question for you gentlemen today. Uh, I just found out something that I didn't know was a genre, but it makes sense. I'll ask you this first, James, since you are the crime writer here. How familiar are you with cozy mysteries? You know what? I'm actually kind of reading one right now. At least it's kind of at least it's kind of cozy to me. I don't know if it really counts. I'm reading Are you guys familiar with Agatha Christie? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, I've been reading a bunch of her books recently, Murder on the Orient Express. That's actually on our reading list. Yeah, we're going to begin to yeah. that eventually here. So I tell you what, I, I was reading, like, I read Murder on the Orient Express, which is, by the way, it's an amazing book. I can't wait to see the movie. To me, it's cozy because nowadays you have, like, all these murder mysteries where, like, the detective is, like, this, like, just, like, grizzled, just hard-boiled dude. You know, he's about to lose his job. He's... You know, he, you know, he's got a drinking problem, doesn't get along with his parents and has got an ex-wife he hates or whatever. And he's just, he's just got all these, all this baggage. Meanwhile, he's like investigating his murder and it's like always everybody he meets is shady and it's great. You know, like I love those stories, you know, all that noir, hard boiled stuff. And then it's like, then you get, but it's a cozy mystery is very refreshing. Cause it's like, it's, it's the, it's the, the good guy in the white hat looking for the, criminal whoever it is whether it's like a thief or a murderer you know instead of like all this all these stories with baggage that are great it just has that that refreshing basic story that we all just kind of miss sometimes so you know i, I was just reading all these different murder mysteries where it's just really dark and gloomy then in comes agatha christie's uh detective hercule poirot who is just this you know he's he's kind of quirky dude very unassuming at first and then like at the end, at the end of the book, he's like, "The murderer is that guy." And meanwhile, <laughs> I was thinking it was this guy the whole time. Mm. But then, but then he, he, like, he's not just like Joe Friday, you know, who's just, "Well, man, it's all part of the job. I'm a cop. That's what I do." In this one, like, especially on Murder on the Orange Express, he really uses his. So I'm also kind of like, really uh, promoting Agatha Christie here, but I've just really <laughs> been on a kick recently. Uh, in comes this guy who really has his own set of morality, which. Some people may or may not get along with, but I, I don't know. I, to me, that's cozy. Just this guy's just trying to figure out who the murderer is. You know, he has a personality, but mostly he's just trying to find out who the killer is. And I don't know. I I, I, I like kind of going back to that simplistic like said, style. Yeah. Story. Yeah. You just it's get a, like it's a black and white. There's no gray area. Good guy, bad guy. Your mystery unfolds, and there's no... I mean, I'd imagine a cozy mystery isn't going to be very violent, not a lot of murder. <laughs> Probably right. usually small town. Wine, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I always think of, uh, like, uh, Murder, She Wrote. Murder, She Wrote, yeah. Yeah, because they even... They, they, um, there's Murder, She Wrote novels. If you, you know, if you love the show and, you you know, you needed more after however many seasons, there's a series of, of Murder, She Wrote novels that yeah. you can get. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I would have to check that out. I've been thinking I I could read a nice cozy mystery once See, in a while from me, all the bleak stuff we normally read. My mom has been reading a lot of those, so maybe maybe I can talk to her. And be like, hey, mom, <laughs> what's a what's a good cozy uh, mystery we can read for the podcast? Like, just the title "cozy mystery" makes me think of like you're trying to find a lost yeah. dog or a kitten well, or something. It's like a lot of those uh, like the Hallmark Channel kind mm. of stuff too. Is that you know just that that's what I always think of when I hear the. The Cozy Mystery or... Where I first heard it today, I mean, I, I was aware of Cozy yeah. Mysteries, but I never really gave much thought to them. Uh, it was that Hemingway podcast I listened to. They had 
a bunch of people on were discussing uh, when Hemingway, his wife, she brought uh, he had a suitcase full of all his manuscripts. She mm-hmm. lost it. Mm-hmm. And he lost everything he had. Well, I didn't know, but they turned those into a lot of mystery books now. Uh-huh. That actual premise, and not just like the premise of it, but Hemingway himself and his wife. And there's a cozy mystery based off of it. Oh, wow. And it was about a, like a small neighborhood and uh, someone helping people with the garage sales. And then she goes and finds uh, she finds the the missing, you know, famed legendary uh, suitcase full of manuscripts. But then somebody steals it, and I guess your mystery unfolds. But yeah, I think we should uh, all read a nice cozy mystery. Next to the fire with a cup of cocoa. Maybe we should even cover that on the podcast and we can actually have something PG for once. <laughs> <laughs> like kids can listen to that episode, maybe. I'm the wrong guest then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, PG one. You're in the right place for this episode. <laughs> anyway, we will be back after this wonderful musical intro and then we'll be talking about crime and other fun stuff. You are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the Dakota Dirt Devil Church. I almost forgot to give you a name. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. I don't know what it means. You're devil of dirt. Dirt devil. That's like a Tasmanian devil spinning. Like a vacuum. Uh, and today we have a special guest from the introduction. You already heard him, but we did not bring him on. Or, you know, We didn't introduce him because we're not professional. Um, so author of Ice Rising, the sequel, Ice Box, The Ballad of Johnny Carlo, and Life's Dark Corners, Mr. James Michaels. How are you doing, sir? Good. How y'all doing? Not too shabby. So you're one of them crime writers that we seem to keep getting on the podcast for some reason. Um, That's right. You want to give the listeners who are unaware of your work a little taste, maybe, uh, what would be a good starting point for them to get into your stuff? I guess it depends on you know, what kind of reader they are. You know, I, I know everybody has their preference. Some people prefer like series, some like standalones, some like short stories. I'd say for somebody who is kind of maybe getting back into reading or trying it out, probably try my collection of short stories, Life's Dark Corners. It's five different stories. All of them have, are in like different crime genres themselves, like psych- psychological thriller, urban, noir, thriller, things of that nature. It'll also help them get like a little bit a taste of everything that I have to offer. That's probably where I would go. Just yeah. to, That's why I usually like if I find an, a new author, if they have a short story collection, that's always perfect. Yeah. Because then you can uh, not just get a taste of their writing style, but maybe other things they write, whether it's, uh, you know, it could be a crime series, you know, just a bunch of crime stories, but you could still get different styles of crime stories. You have your noir, like we talked about the cozy mysteries. You could have all kinds of things in those. I think I got that Raymond Chandler correct, you know, collection. A lot of them are noir stuff, but some of it is a little different. Yeah. So I guess the big question, though, I have for you, James, is why crime? What made you get into writing crime as opposed to fantasy, sci-fi, any of the other genres or literary fiction? I mean, I have been a crime junkie since I was a kid. You know, I mean, I grew up watching uh, true crime and crime fiction. I grew up watching... Casino, Scarface, you know, The Godfather. Those are my favorite movies, The Godfather. I mean, I love one and two so much, I'll even throw three in there for free. Uh, uh, That's the only way anybody's going to take it. (laughs) Goodfellas, and like all aspects, you know, like I'm I'm big into true crime as well. So, you know, I would do a lot of 
reading up on like the mafia and bank robbers and serial killers and white collar criminals and just all sorts. And add that to me just being an avid reader. And then one day I'm, you know, like I'm at my job and I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, like where I work now, I like it, but I knew I was going to kind of reach that moment where I was going to plateau. So I was like, okay, so what do I want to do for myself? Like, I need to build myself up somehow. So maybe I can learn a language. Maybe I can learn a new skill. Maybe I can write a book. I love to read. Why don't I write a book? And I said, so what kind of book am I going to write? Well, what kind of books do I like to read? I mean, I like a little bit of everything, but what are my favorites? Crime fiction. So I said, you know, why don't I just become a crime writer? And that's, you know, that's how it all got started. Easy so enough. It's just my favorite genre to read. So that's, you know, I wanted to write what I like to read. That's uh, yeah. I think that's how most of us start. Yeah, yeah. At least starting now. Be kind of odd if you wrote stuff that you hate to read. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna write this, but I hate reading it. Um, <laughs> did you have like a you know a testing of writing before you got into just writing books and stuff? Like, did you try short stories when you were younger, or you know, a lot of people they write a little, then they fall out of it, come back to it. Was it anything like that? You know, I love this question. Um, it actually didn't dawn on me to take it seriously. Okay, so. I actually didn't like, I did not like to write when I was a kid. That just wasn't my thing. But I think it was because it was always like school related. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, tell us, like, here's the topic for the day, write about it. Unless it was, and I never really picked up on it until I started really actively writing a few years ago, that I, I liked to create something that feels on my own terms. When I was a teenager, I actually did start writing a story. And I just, stopped after like a few weeks i was like eh, okay i'm not interested anymore and so when i got older about five years back when i started on this journey i thought about that and i was like i never finished that story so i know i have to finish this one because i, I started telling everybody i want to write a book when you start telling everybody then you become one of two people you either you become the person that says they're going to do it and doesn't or you're going to be the person that does it and I've been that guy before yeah. where I said, I'm going to do this, and I don't. So I said, no, no, this one, I'm going to stick with it. And after kind of getting halfway through the story, I realized other ideas came to mind. And I realized, like, wow, this is actually, like, this is something for me I never knew I, that I had, which was a natural talent. And that was, that was, like, the missing piece of me. I mean, it's kind of interesting because Raymond Chandler, you know, one of the godfathers of crime noir, didn't start writing until later in life. He had no interest in writing. He just did it yeah. to make money. And it's like, we'll see how that went. So uh, yeah. it's always funny. It's like a lot of people I find that end up, especially the, even with lucrative writing careers, they didn't even intend to be a writer in their life. You know, they were an ad executive. They worked at a law firm. And then they just maybe did writing as, you know, a fun hobby once in a while. But usually you, once you get into it, especially once you develop your skills a little bit, uh, and you'd be like, hey, people actually like what I'm writing. You know, they actually like reading it. You end up taking it more seriously, and then the ball gets rolling, and then all of a sudden you're getting published or you have books out. Um, there's a lot of people now that's just like straight indie publishing, and I don't mm -hmm. know. If, I think I said to you that thing about Terry Mixon. He made, in nine years, he made over a billion and a half dollars. No, yeah, I don't know. You didn't send me Almost that. $2 million just on his indie books. Oh, wow. And I was like, damn. <laughs> I'm going to start publishing my own books here soon. Um, Almost there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, he writes a lot of series. That's the thing. Have you thought about? I didn't ask you this. Uh, writing crime series, like uh, like we covered Walter Mosley's uh, Easy Rollins books. 
he had a whole series of those. Or like the Raymond Chandler, he had a whole series of books. And that seems like the way to go to me. Especially well, with the crime, sorry, especially with the crime fiction, that seems like that's a very popular yeah. thing to do. Well, I actually have an ongoing series. Um, that's my Ice series. You mentioned before Ice Rising and Ice Box. Um, it's part of an ongoing one, and Ice Rain is the one that I'm actually going to be releasing soon in the next few months. It's in the editing stages right now, but I have a very, very good editor. So I'm happy to work with him. And uh, yeah, and but also with my other book, The Ballad of Johnny Carlo, you know, you talk about series. When I wrote Johnny Carlo, I realized that I like. I kind of created this really big universe. One of my favorite graphic novel series is Sin City. You guys ever yeah, read yeah. that or, or seen the movie? So, you know, in Sin City, you have all these great stories where it has its end and it has its finish. And if you want to, you can read up about this other character that kind of was there or this other character that kind of was there. So with the Ballad of Johnny Carlo, that's what I kind of got. So I have two different, really two different universes one is a linear series, the Ice series, and the other one is what I like to call the Johnny Carlo series, and it just gives all these different characters their own stories. Like in, uh, in Life's Dark Corners, as I mentioned earlier, one of the stories in there is actually an origin story for a couple of the characters that are first introduced in the Ballad of Johnny Carlo. That's kind of like an, like an experiment for me, and I think it worked out perfectly. Well, that could be a lot of fun just because you could pretty much tell any story you want. And even if you wanted to go outside of the crime genre, you could just because you have so many, you know, you could have a romance one just mm -hmm. based off of the characters that you brought up in your crime series. Uh, That's very true. So yeah. you, could, you know, infinite expansion. Uh, you could get a little nutty with that and start going into hard sci-fi and stuff yeah. if you wanted to, but I wouldn't recommend that. Just from the sounds of it, it seems like you're doing like the indie publishing thing the right way. You have the editor. You got. You were talking about having uh, somebody do your book covers. So you're actually doing the process properly versus some of these indie people. They don't edit anything. They just slap it together, throw it out yeah. there. And we went to a, a romance panel one time at a convention. And the one lady up there, what was it, one or two books a month? Every oh, month. It was something ridiculous. They didn't even do like spell check. <laughs> it's like, well, I was reading that. I don't understand. But how did you get into that? Like, there's a, there's a big learning curve when it comes to indie publishing. You, you know, you don't just uh -huh. go into it. Like, you have to research, research, research. So, how did that all go about? You're not kidding. And I actually wish I brought one of my uh, original covers for uh, Ice Rising. That was my first book. Okay, so I'll start off with why I started in indie writing. I actually tried to go traditional with my first book. I mean, I was hitting, I was hitting up literary agents left and right, trying to tell them about my new book, and uh, I went like a year. Nobody wanted it, so I said, "Okay, here I am with this manuscript, and I've been telling everybody I wrote a book, and I was really just burning to get the cover, get, get the whole physical book out there and show everybody. Look, I wrote a book. Here it is." I didn't want to self-publish at first. I really didn't because I knew it would be a lot of work. But, I mean, after a year, you just get tired of, you know, getting rejections. And I said, you know what, fine. If nobody's going to publish it, then I'm going to publish it myself. And I'm going to make it happen. And it does come with a learning curve. I mean, when I published Ice Rising, so okay, so I have a copy of it here. So this is Ice Rising, my first book, right? See how kind of how nice it looks, like a, a decent size, and it matches the sizes of all the other ones. It did not come out this way uh, at first. This is actually like a republished edition because originally it came out like 
this big. <laughs> Gigantic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a proof, you know, like a proof like, coffee. Yeah. Right, right. Like, like, I don't know. You just print out the pages and then you could have just staple They weren't stapled together, but you could have just staple them together and said, this is what it looks like. And it, and, and what's funny is when I wrote the ballad Johnny Carlo, I was telling my buddy, I said, hey, that could be like kind of like my thing. I could publish it and make them all like this Gigantic guy. Right? That's kind of like my thing. <laughs> and he was like, and, and he said to me, he said, no, no, don't do that. I said, you're right. And uh, You don't want to be the oversized guy. <laughs> that doesn't fit on anybody's <laughs> bookshelf. Right, right. So I, I guess I just kind of lived in denial for a while. And uh, eventually I went back to it and I – I edited the trim size. That was a big learning curve for me. It was trim size, which affects the margin and the uh, the size of the print and everything. So, yeah, it's definitely a learning curve with self-publishing. I recommend anybody, especially if you're going to use Amazon, which is where I go through, definitely go on YouTube or talk to somebody who's done it before through Amazon and just kind of have them guide through the steps because it's a great platform. But if you kind of go in there blind, you're going to have a lot of, troubles especially if this is your first go around yeah you're gonna have a bad time you know the thing with like trying to get traditionally traditionally published especially even in a you know genre like the crime genre that's so oversaturated as is yeah to get anyone to even look at you twice is really difficult i mean like we had nick obergon on a couple times and he told us the more exotic the locale the yeah. you know if you're you know if you have some kind of diversity in your background really exploit that because they want anything that'll help you stand out. And then even if you do get accepted, we're going to publish you and we're going to, you know, we'll do all the edits and stuff. We'll put the book together. You still have to do all the marketing yourself and you have to wait probably mm-hmm. years for that book to come out. Whereas if you do it mm-hmm. yourself, it comes out when you want it to come out. You get 100% of the profits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other than paying like your editor, the cover guy and all that stuff, if you are able to recoup that stuff and then make a little bit of a profit, that's yeah. still a win. You know, versus traditionally published, where if none of your books sell, they get sent back from the bookstore, and you don't own the rights to that book anymore, so you can't do anything with it. That's terrible. Right, right. There's a lot. There's a lot of ups and downs to to both sides. And me, I'm just. There's definitely some down. Some downsides with self publishing is the fact that like nowadays anybody's publishing, so there's a lot of saturation. But the good thing is, is if you're a writer and you really believe in what you're writing, then that's a huge foundation for you to really publish your work if you believe in it yourself. Yeah. And you want to make you want to really take the effort to really get your work out there however you can. The most difficult thing for me would be the marketing and the social media and that stuff cuz we've discussed many times on this podcast neither of us like doing that stuff and most writers they just want to write. They don't want to do any of the marketing. Have you had anything, you know, successes and failures with that? I mean, now a lot of authors are switching to TikTok to try to get their boost, but that's I do TikTok. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a writer friendly medium other than, you know, you could do writing related memes and stuff, but Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all that stuff. What have you gotten the most success from, the most exposure from? Um at this point, I'd have to say probably Facebook. So Facebook is my oldest page and uh, of all cuz cuz I have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and you and YouTube. Facebook I have like the most followers on there. So I'm happy about that. Like it's all, like when I reached over a thousand, I was like, whoa, I'm like famous yeah. now. You know, once you get that 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 K next to next to your number yeah. of followers, that's like that's a good letter. Big time now. Um, 
And uh, I, I really want to reach that K with, with the other ones. And it's always nice when you kind of go on and say, hey, so-and-so's following you. Hey, yay, I have another fan, hopefully. But I also like YouTube. I mean, because I upload every day. So whenever I go on YouTube, usually around midday, I'll be like, hey, I got like one or two new subscribers. This is a good day. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you get used to it. You know, you enjoy it. You kind of find a way to kind of get yourself in there. Because, yeah, I mean, you do memes. I do plenty of memes. But, like, on my YouTube channel, I do uh, book reviews, book discussions. I talk about my own writing process. Um, so, yeah, I kind of try to really get myself in there, too. My big thing is entertain. Like, like as a writer, I think nowadays a lot of writers get stuck because they want to be like this, like, new, uh, like, like, Dostoevsky, where everything is supposed to represent something in their story. Like, oh, he painted this white picket fence every day. That means that you know, struggling between his dad's conservativeness and his mom being a liberal or, you know, the green grass represents the downfall of society or something. <laughs> it's like, I'm not that writer. I write just to entertain, you know? And it's like, people have read my books and they said, wow, that really like helped me kind of change the route I was going through in life. I was like, I'm, I'm glad that worked for you. I'm sure somebody who wanted to be a drug dealer watched Scarface and said, oh, I'm not doing that now. Yeah. <laughs> We're having him at the end. <laughs> so... That's part of my personality, just being an entertainer, but also give something of value. Well, you touch on a very good point. A lot of writers nowadays feel like they can't have fun. They can't tell a fun story or a story that's just escapism or entertainment. They feel like, and their persona also goes along with that. They have to be the super serious, oh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, I'm, I grow a beard and I don't talk to anyone. I'm Cormac McCarthy, I'm reclusive and do one interview every 20 years. Like, no, you get to have fun. You can be on YouTube. You can make goofy videos and serious videos. I would say don't shy away or be afraid from the limelight, or, you know, afraid of the limelight because right. how else are you going to get the exposure to get your work out there? You can't just expect in such an oversaturated market that your work is going to stand on its own when no one knows about it. And that's the main thing. Once you build the audience, sure, then you can be reclusive and it doesn't matter. But initially, right. you have to build your own brand. And that's the marketing side of thing I think a lot of people struggle with. Right. And and that's the thing is like being an author. Like, so when you become an author, it's up to you to decide like how you want to take your writing. Like some just do it as an outlet. They write. They don't even publish. They just write and they put it in a notebook and they leave it. Others will publish and say, whoever reads it, reads it. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. That's fine. And others, if you really want to get it out there, then it's a business, bro. And like everything, businesses change. You're right. Like, you can't be that reclusive guy like, Dost like Dostoevsky. Like, that, like that. you know, rest in peace. But that was 150 years ago. <laughs> Nowadays, you really have to be out there. You kind of got to look at, like, what some of these – these new authors that are still big out there, like the ones that they're stay big, like James Patterson, you know, like you can look on his Instagram, he's got like funny pictures of himself and whatever, just engaging and just being out there and people can see. And that's the thing is when you're an author, like anything else, you know, you're, you're a brand and people really want to trust brands. So you got to really put yourself out there and be engaged, especially with the readers because they want to know more about you as a person. Well, that's even Stephen King because you know, you think, well, how do you get more relevant than Stephen King? Well, how does he stay relevant? He's constantly on Twitter and on mm -hmm. social media. Mm -hmm. He's always bringing up, you know, up discussion topics and keeping his name out there. Because, yeah, he could keep having books come out. But if he didn't do that stuff, eventually his fans would read the books, but not new fans. Yeah. I mean, you guys in the 70s, like, 
you're not going to bring in new audiences because of your name from you know way back when when most of the readers that knew you way back when are 60 70 yeah. year old you know you're old too well, I was gonna say, well that's like I've, I've mentioned before there's mm-hmm. been numerous like authors that i've only got into because like they were like on some podcasts that i listened to or, or something like that and um like once like listening you know to them and them talking like oh i kind of like that guy like you know Mm -hmm. i don't i know nothing about his work but i just like the conversations that he's having i'm gonna go check out some of his stuff and like that's how you like how we were talking about like that's a a tool to grow your 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 fan base and, and everything like that well it might be our age demographic but i can definitely say for me most of the new authors I find are through podcasts. Yeah. That's mostly the way I find uh, new authors. Every once in a while, like Goodreads or something, but uh, usually it's because their personality shines, even more so than the books they're talking yeah. about. So this is their personality. Like, that person sounds interesting. I would like to read, you know, at least one of their works and see, you know, how they are. Ooh, that brings up another one. Are you on Goodreads? I know a lot of authors on there either really, really hate it because it is a very... uh there's a toxic Goodreads culture underneath the normal Goodreads mm. culture because uh, you get people that get reviewed bombed and all kinds of stuff like that. But I know a lot of authors, they have like they host chats and different things on there. Have you done anything like that? Um, I am on Goodreads. All of my books are on there. Typically, I only really use Goodreads to do my book reviews um, because whenever I read a new book, I review it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's primarily what I do on there. It, it's. It's something I want to get into more. Um, it's on my list. I've been on Goodreads for a while. Again, I, I, just, I just use that to like kind of build my reviews and help the algorithm, then kind of help other people mm-hmm. out and you know get their work out there. I didn't notice on your website. You do you only post your reviews on Goodreads because you can you know just copy and paste, put them on your website as well. So what I do is I post them on Goodreads and I post them on Amazon. But actually, I do video reviews oh, of each okay book. so youtube so, yeah so like basically i'll take a book and say hey i read this book and i'll go on youtube and say hey everybody i'm reading read this book is fantastic here's why and then i'll i'll then also take that message and i'll put it on goodreads and amazon because I, I was doing that before goodreads and amazon reviews to help mm-hmm. out like other authors so i i want to keep up with that but i wanted to and i was doing that for a while on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, which is typing out the review, it's easier for me just to kind of talk about it. So that's how I got into uh, video reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, your current reading habits, because you, you were mentioning Agatha Christie in the opening, do you tend to lean towards tried and true you know, bestsellers or uh, just authors that are more well-known in the genres that you're reading? Or do you give indie authors and new authors you know, a chance more? Because we... Usually once or twice a year, we pick a selection of like indie authors to read, but our to read pile is so huge. They're just the books, like classics yeah. and stuff we still haven't gotten through. But like, what are your reading habits? Well, for me, it just depends on um, how I get access to the book. You know, with my budget, I kind of like a lot of people give me books or I find them at like uh, uh, those little, have you ever seen the, those little libraries that people have like on their lawn? Yeah, we have a have, bunch like, of those in our town. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so I'll open one. I'll look and be like, oh, well, let's, oh, hey, a murder mystery. All right, well, I guess this is the next book I'm reading. But I also make myself available to other authors uh, because I guess having like five years experience in this now, I have a little bit of not clout, but just a little bit of experience. So sometimes they'll come to me and say, hey, 
can you check out my book? You know, I'm like, sure, I'll check out your book. And which is a risk because sometimes they'll, they'll give me a book and I'll be like, oh, and I've read it. And I'm like, there is something redeemable in here. I know there is. I'm going to focus on that quality for this book (laughs) to help you out. Um, It's hard to hurt someone's feelings and give you a free book, you know. Especially with with, with self-published. So, like, especially with indie writers like myself, I really give them a handicap. It's like, it's hard, especially if you are trying to do the edits yourself and you're trying really hard. And I'll be like, okay, uh, he missed a comma here, but that's okay. Um, Like, I, I read one guy's series of books over, like, the span of a year and a half. And he has no quotation marks in his dialogue. Mm. None. Like Cormac McCarthy. Oh, that's, I don't like that style. That's a specific and, style, but it's not fun. But you know what? The story. The stories are great. So like, mm. I read the stories. I was like, okay, I just have to really focus really hard and not like, have anything playing in the background because I really have to make sure that I'm focused on this dialogue. So there's that. Like, you know, yeah. I, I'm very forgiving with that. Not everybody is, and, I, and I, I, I totally understand. Well, was he deliberate in his absence of quotation marks, or was that just accidental? He didn't know about quotation marks or something? <laughs> yeah, I told him about that on the first one. I think he's just kind of like, Purposeful. I guess he just feels like that's his thing. Nah. Well, you know, but and he wrote like a whole series that was very good. <laughs> it's a very, very good series of books. Very like thriller with like some you know, like history fiction and spies and stuff. It's just, it, I don't know. It was, it, it's a fantastic series. Just no quotation marks. Mm. Here's something I want to know. And only because this is something I would do just, just to be vain. When you go to those little libraries, do you ever put your book in? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good move, um, right? Actually, <laughs> I, just think I take them all out and just film with mine. <laughs> That's a little excessive. <laughs> Dump the rest but, right in the uh, garbage. Right, but that that gets pricey, you know, because yeah. uh, so when you even when you self-publish, you do have to buy your own copies. Now, again, I can't speak for Barnes Noble or any of the, any other groups, but like I go through Amazon now. When I get an author copy, you know, I'm just paying for basically printing costs and shipping. So you know, I get a, I get a little bit of a discount, but it costs a little bit of money. So you know, th- there's always that that upfront. So if I'm giving something away for free, I really want to make a count like i'll you know i'll definitely do it for like you know somebody that's a reviewer or a podcast or you know like, like, like something big and promotional but i kind of steered away from sliding my books in the in those little book libraries unless it's like if i go in and i kind of notice that the books get taken out of that library pretty quick i'm like okay let me go ahead and yeah sneak this one in here because i think somebody's gonna take it i remember one time at work I took a copy of each book after I, I think after I published Lifestar Corners and I took a copy of each book to my job and I put it like in the break room and I put a note that says, all right, this is for free reading. Enjoy. If you take the book, please leave a review on Amazon and Goodreads. Mm-hmm. That's a good and idea. I, I went and checked and like somebody did take one of the copies and I don't think I ever got a review from it, but you know, I mean, who knows, you know? It, yeah. Sowing a seed, maybe one day they'll be like, oh, I forgot about, you know, so-and-so's book. Oh, it's fantastic. I, I need to go tell the world. Let me go shop <laughs> in the rooftops. See, see, with my luck, it would be like, guy I work with wrote shitty book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Fuck you, like, Steve. You guys stole my copy? Yeah, you must have really hated it. You stole it. <laughs> um. Since giving your books away for free is not the best idea when it comes to making money, 
Have you given any thought or have you done any conventions like booked a table to sell them at conventions? As my, uh, whenever I can. Yes. Um, you know, cause I work weekends and that's when, that's when they host most conventions. So I kind of really gotta be, I kind of really gotta strategize that, but I actually have an event next week on, uh, on Friday on the 4th, the 4th of August, that'll be in, uh, Northville, Michigan for this, uh, cause I'm in Michigan. So they're doing this, uh, this, this festival called by Michigan now, I think. And I did it last year. And so it's like just all these Michigan oriented products. So not just authors, but anybody that's a, like a local small business in the state mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they'll all be there and I'll be there just, you know, selling our wares. So yeah, I do like, I love doing, um, I love doing conventions, things like that. I actually do pretty well at like flea markets. I, I, I never thought could, of that. You probably, yeah. Cause there's some, some flea markets are huge and yeah. you really, you rarely see books outside of just maybe some old used books. So right. I can see you making a good penny right. off of that. It's a well, good idea. It, there's advantages and disadvantages to it that I've learned. One of the advantages is setup. It takes me like 20 minutes to set up, whereas everybody else has to like, you know, have, have like nine tables around mm-hmm. them in the square and they're sitting in the middle and they got to make sure everything's on there make sure it doesn't fall down. Me, it takes 20 minutes, but the disadvantage is all their stuff is on display. You know, like, oh, you like it? 10 bucks. You want it? Okay. Me, I really have to bring the person in. Yeah. So now there comes the engaging salesman. You're there to sell books, so you might as well sell. So I'm there. I'm not really sitting behind the table. I'm in front of the table and talking to people as they walk by. Hi, do you like to read? What do you like to read? You like to read crime? I got crime. Check it out. You know, of course you open yourself up to a lot of rejection at the same time, yeah. you know, like, you know, cause I'll, cause people walk past me. Like I just asked them something crazy. I'll be, Hey, do you like to read? Like, no, you know, anybody <laughs> who likes to read? No. Like, how'd you get here? You know, there's stop signs and parking signs. And so <laughs> you hate to read. I always take it as a challenge. You know, I go in there and I say, okay, today I'm going to sell out. I've come close a time or two. Never really accomplished that goal yet, but, I've sold out a couple things before. I was like, hey, wow, that's one less box to load back into the car. So I enjoy doing those. I mean, if I could, I would do like five a week. We have a few buddies who do the convention circuits, and it is almost like a carnival atmosphere mm-hmm. because you have to perform and get – because a lot of people that do very poorly at those things, it's just because they sit there and they're quiet and they're just like, oh, you want to mm-hmm. buy my book? And it's like you have to bring people to you, and it's not always fun. But, you know – if right. Depending on your personality, you could have a blast doing it. You can yeah. meet a lot of cool people, and you can get fans for life just by because, uh-huh. like we talked about the podcast, they can get a feeling for your personality. Yeah, but you can't do that if you're just quiet and you sit behind the desk and just hope people buy your book. That's why. That's why I always keep like business cards and stuff on the table too. So sometimes the you know they're walking by, but okay, how about this? If you know somebody who likes to read, take my business card and give it to them. And you know, I mean. Yeah, they might throw in the trash, but you never know. I mean, two days down the road, the person's emptying out their drawer and they're like, oh, I remember this guy's business card. Ah, you know what? Why don't I go ahead and take a look? Oh, that seems pretty good. I'll read it. Oh, I love it. Let me go tell 100 of my best friends. <laughs> it's mainly just a numbers <laughs> game. Yeah, you just <laughs> give out enough and even if just a small percentage of them buy your book or check yeah. out your stuff, there you go. You, you hooked another one. Marketing can actually be fun, you know, like, it's not just the whole like posting on Facebook, buy my book, buy my book. Like there's a lot of creative ways that you can really kind of get yourself out there. Like I, I love the business cards. 
you know, I always keep a few with me. So like I'll, I'll go to like a Waffle House and there's none in Michigan. But when I'm out of state, I'll go to Waffle House because I love them. And I'll, you know, after I'm done eating, I'll be like, hey, by the way, I'm an author. If you like to read, go ahead. And uh, I did that today, actually. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a I, I actually wrote back to my receipt. I heard you like to read because you told me. So check me out. And you never know. So it, it can be fun, but it, it does take a lot of engagement and putting yourself out there. Now, do you which is hard at first. Do you just like Waffle House because you like crime so much? <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesus. So, no, I just love Waffle House. I mean, I mean, first it's cheap. I mean, yeah, that's true. You know, it's like 10 bucks for one person. Where do you, you don't even get that at McDonald's anymore. No. My wife's from out of state. So when we, uh, when we leave to go back down to her state, we pass through Ohio and they have Waffle Houses. They don't have them in Michigan. They have them in Ohio. And, First time I ever went to one was with her. She's like, let's stop at the Waffle House. All right. And I love them. So it's just, no, it's just cozy. Cozy Mysteries in the Waffle House. That is a book one yeah. you guys need to write. I'm gonna say that's I, was, I was reading an Agatha Christie at the Waffle House this morning. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure that probably got some weird looks. Probably like, what's this guy reading a book? Especially an old book. An old book. Well, reading what? Okay. In a Waffle House? Huh. Blasphemy. Well, that, that waitress was like, oh, I've been looking to get back into reading. I was like. Well, <laughs> I just happen to be an author. Here's I'm back in my receipt. So. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's what, like I got something for you day. in my trunk. Well, well, maybe well, not. Well, well. Not at the Waffle House. You can't say that. <laughs> not in the Waffle House parking lot. Come follow know, me in my I van. Usually have, like, a few copies. In, in, I usually have a few copies in my car, and I didn't have any. And I was like, oh, and I usually have like a business card, but I ran out. So I was like, I need a pen right quick. Can I borrow your pen? <laughs> Check this out. Smooth. Um, <laughs> you were talking about marketing. One of the things I've been seeing online a lot lately, which I really like, are book trailers. Like people, mm-hmm. when their book's coming out, they do. Like a lot of the indie horror authors I've been following recently on Instagram have been posting book trailers, and they're really cool. Like the yeah. music and just all the, you know, uh, FX you can use and stuff. And, you know, the way people do TikTok now, like they make some really professional looking videos. Yeah. And like, wow. You do all that on your phone now. It's pretty convenient because in the old days, you'd have to pay somebody to do stuff yeah. like that. You know, speaking of on your phone, that's how I wrote all my books. I write right on my phone. Really? Wow. Well, that's interesting. Yep. What do you use? Google Docs? Uh, do you guys have um, um, iPhones? Uh, both Androids. Oh, I have. Uh, I don't know if it's on Android. But there's an app on iPhone called Pages, and I just write right on there. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Um. I uh, mainly when I write on my phone, I just use Google Docs, and uh, that's good for short stories. I don't really trust that to write my books because you know, just being on a cloud, I don't want it to. Amazon one day says, "You know what? Fuck you, buddy. Delete all yeah. your stuff." And then that's you, why I always email them to my wife every now and then. Like, let, let me go ahead and re-email. Yeah, them here's you. a quick PDF. Just save that or something or Word doc. And then also, you know, I use like Scrivener and stuff too, which is just that's on my computer, and then I back it up. But I'm still very terrible at keeping track of all the stuff i'm doing uh what oh you know what i saw a video you posted i think it was a tiktok that was interesting because i was actually i've been doing it a lot more recently playing video games before you write yes i love it so i've been an avid gamer all my life i really wanted to so my options were either sacrifice gaming to focus on my writing or incorporate it into my process and I can't just sit down and just write, 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 write. 
you know, I, I, I need some, some more stimulants, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, I just, you know, I get up early, get a cup of coffee, turn the PlayStation on, I'll play a little bit and I'll start writing, get a good portion done, play a little bit more. And then I'll start writing, you know, like, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll like, you know, kill that guy or beat that level or complete that quest, whatever game I'm playing. Uh, right now it's Red Dead Redemption 2. And um, I wouldn't get any writing done if yeah, I was playing yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I would just play that for hours and hours. You know, it's actually kind of screwed me up. So, like whenever I'm playing video games, I have to like do something else every now and then because I get so restless. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't just be, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed. I can't just be comfortable. I'll be like, okay, I finished that quest. Let me go ahead and read some pages of this because I have to do some book reviews later. So let me go ahead and read this book here. And, um, but it gets me through, you know. Yeah, I set a word count for myself every day, and I always accomplish it. So it, it helps me. It just it's a reward system. It's like okay, I'm doing good. Let's go ahead and enjoy this a little bit, and it, you'll keep me awake, and then I'll go back to writing. So it's a discipline, but for me that works. I remember one writer said I, I don't know her name, but she said that that it worked for her. So I said that sounds like something that's right up my alley. Why don't I go ahead and adopt that? And I love it. See, my problem is I'm more, very, I'm like very focus driven. So once I'm on something, that's what I'm doing for a while. So I could play video games before I write, get the creative juices flowing, kind of relax my brain, get in a different atmosphere. Then I can go to writing and then I'm just doing that. But if I like the back and forth, that probably wouldn't work for me. I could do that <laughs> if I'm writing on my phone and like say i'm watching a couple videos or something and then you know i'll knock out a couple paragraphs i'm stuck i don't know what i'm writing i might go watch a couple more videos or tiktok reels or or youtube reels or something and youtube shorts there's too many fucking things real shorts (laughs) tiktoks i I miss vine what happened to vine let me get rid of that that was fun 30 seconds that's all the videos were that's what we need yeah vine's the good old days but what about you spencer because you're a one of them sporadic kind of guys when you're writing do you like to stay focused on the writing the whole time or do you like him you know take breaks and do other things uh sometimes like if i can get in a zone i can do a longer period of writing but i think i'm like a little like um add a little bit where like i, I can't like i can't like mm. sometimes i can't spend more than like 15 20 minutes at the keyboard i'm just like ah my like my eyes or like i just <laughs> like i guess so like i'll have to like push it away and i might like read like a couple comics or, or, yeah, or something or, or whatever book that i'm reading and then try to go back or um try to like maybe if it's on, on an off day like try to organize some books kind of get get that physical yeah. that physical movement around because like that's another thing that people sometimes do with like they're like go take a walk or like a walk or something like that's kind of how like they kind of like free up their mind or, or whatever. i do that when i'm coming up with ideas i'll just walk a lot of times just in the gym does it for yeah. me anymore but yeah like the the attention thing like they always you know you the old notion was you just sit down and bleed at the keyboard you don't have to do that anymore mm-hmm. like you do what works for you if you're a binge writer do that if you're a sporadic writer just as long as like you said james get the word countdown you know whatever your goal is as long as you hit that it's fine you can you know write it in the morning and then don't touch it for until late evening whatever you do is fine as long as you're getting your goals accomplished that's the main thing uh i think for a long time i tried to stay rigid with the routine and that almost always led to failure because if i missed the routine one day i felt like shit and then the next day, I'm like, ah, oh, I got to do it. And then it became a chore versus just letting it flow naturally. It's like, I feel like writing now. I'm going to write. And as long as I'm hitting my goals, it doesn't really matter when I write, just as long as I do it. 
Oh, I forgot you mentioned something I was going to bring up, but I lost it. Influences. That's right, Spencer. Mm. Of course, influences. <laughs> <laughs> I find oh, it's because you said, you know, sometimes you'll stop and you'll read or yeah. something. I have a hard time doing that because if I read something between writing, depending what I'm reading or yeah. who I'm reading, it might influence my work. Especially if it's something that's similar. So if I was writing a crime story and I read, you know, Raymond Chandler or somebody right. or uh, James Michaels, perhaps, if I <laughs> read something of his, it might affect how I'm writing my yeah. and I start, you know, cribbing his style or, oh, that's a good idea. I should just take it. <laughs> you yeah. know, something like that. Have you had anything like that come up in your work where it's like whatever you're reading is influencing your writing too much? I, no, I wouldn't say too much. If there's something I like, you know, I may, I may incorporate that. Like, okay, so... I love Godfather, so of course I, I read it. And I loved kind of like the romantic kind of way that he created Don Corleone. So when I had like the Ballad of Johnny Carlo and I created my own Mafia Don, um, I didn't, of course, I didn't make him Don Corleone, mm-hmm. but I liked I liked the the kind of the romantic way in that he talked almost, you know, just, just the way he walked around is, you have to understand that... We do this for the family. So I kind of wanted, I, I just like that, the, those seeming mannerisms. So I, I want to include that. But the, the, there's things that I like to pick up from authors where it's like, okay, this person is very descriptive of their characters and their settings. I need to do a little bit more of that, I feel. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, this person, or maybe I'll, I'll, I'll like, okay, so how does that person make their dialogue? Okay, so they give them a paragraph, blah, blah, blah. You know, do they always incorporate, like, an action, like the person twitches and talks and then drinks, takes a sip and talks, or does he just talk? Well, that story's flowing pretty well, and sometimes he doesn't. He's not always doing something. Okay, so, you know, in, in a way, it helps me kind of be a better writer when I see just something I like, not the story itself, and say, oh, he's looking for a stolen map? Well, my guy's looking for a stolen map now. No, I won't do that. Yeah. But... If I kind of like the atmosphere that's kind of coming from the book, I, I, I want a little bit of that. And maybe, but, just maybe, not use quotation marks one time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll try that. I'll see if it works. People, I would just get mad. If I read an indie author and there was like, hey, you don't have any quotation marks. Why are you doing that? Mm. They fix it. <laughs> I've read a few books where like, like they'll kill off a character that I really like. I'm like, oh, that I, I'm actually naturally depressed. <laughs> I'm... Now I need to figure out how to do that to my readers. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever read someone's work where it almost makes you mad at how easy it reads? And you're like, why are they so good at this? I need to be able to do right. this. And then you have to try to like dissect it and figure out what it like. How are they getting everything to flow so well? Usually it's a pacing thing that's just like, why is my story not paced the way this story is? Well, sometimes sometimes it, it, it might just be it might just be you. You know, like it's it's how you're seeing it. Could be. But it's not how others are seeing it, you know? Like, you really have to step outside yourself um, and really kind of, when you write a story, get done with it and give it to somebody that you really trust that's going to be honest with you and just see how they feel about it. Like, that's what I did. You know, like, mm-hmm. I went to, like, a buddy of mine who I knew was going to be honest with me. Like, that's my dude. And he's like, I love it. Not only do I love it, but I will edit it. I'm like, whoa. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I found a, I found a friend in you. Uh, he was already a friend. Um, <laughs> I found a useful friend. A <laughs> useful friend. Or, yeah. or like uh, you know, my, my wife, for example. You know, because you know, my wife. You know, she's not just saying she loves it just because she loves me. But you know, she's a very honest person. So if there's something wrong, 
she'll let me know. And, you know, and, and she's not a reader. So she'll read it. She'll be like, oh, I love it. And, yeah, I just it's, – it's, it's a good feeling. You, you, so, yeah, you want to give that to somebody that you really trust and say, okay, how do you feel about it? How does it – does it flow? Even if it's not the cup of tea, mm. to say, but does the, does the story flow well to you? So sometimes you just need that extra set of eyes at, at your own work. Have you ever tried lending your work out to beta readers that you didn't know, like strangers online? Because I've done that before, and it was uh, hit or miss. Some very useful feedback because they had no stakes in me or hurting my feelings or anything like that. And the worst was probably just useless feedback. Like a lot of times you just get useless feedback because not everyone's good at reviewing things. They could tell you that they don't like it, but they can't necessarily tell you why. Yeah. I mean, aside from some very close people, no, I don't really use beta readers. Um, Only because, like, for me... I'm I'm so I'm I'm just thinking about the story all the time as I'm writing it, and then once I get done, if I as long as I get that satisfied feeling, then I'm like I'm good, you know, like like okay, this this fits together well, you know. I mean, me, I'm like I I, I write like I shoot from the hip when I write. I have, I don't outline. I don't you know. I may have like a beginning and I may have an end, but the end is subject to change, and I just write until I'm done. So I kind of just let the story flow out of me. I don't, you know, I kind of let it control me in a way. That's a good so, way for writing mystery and yeah. crime in general, though, just because if you don't know what's coming, really, then how's the reader going to know? Though, Right. Yeah, so, like, you know, for me, when I write, I always tell people, like, I'm reading it first. So whatever emotions you get, I've already felt. Like, mm-hmm. I felt that. I was just going to say the, the, the bad side of maybe not having an exact idea with the ending is that, the uh, you know, painting yourself in the corner where it's like, oh, this guy's the bad guy, but I wrote this whole book and I haven't left any clues to really <laughs> yeah. point to this guy being the bad guy. Could give you some extra work. Another point I wanted to bring up about like whenever you were talking about the the smoothness of a writer, the a lot of times the other side of that coin that especially readers who don't you know who don't write uh, may not realize is that the the untold amount of hours yeah. that took just to, on that one paragraph to make it sound really nice. Mm. So it's just like if it's not if it's not there when the first couple of drafts, just know that you know you have to kind of maybe keep on chipping at it or you know wor- working mm. at it that it's not gonna be there. You know, especially on those first couple of drafts. Well, to paraphrase a long dead writer that I don't remember who mm. said it or exactly what they said, easy reading is damn hard yeah. writing. Like it's very difficult to write something. That reads easy. Yeah. Uh, that's just, you know, a very skilled author who could do that. Uh, and even them, usually they have a good editor. Well, that's even like uh, Hemingway, right? Like his writing was very succinct and like, would, yeah. And kind of, I don't know, smooth, but like kind of like, you know, like especially with his word, but like the the, the sweat that and in, in time he would put into writing that sentence, you know. Yeah. And then often it came out boring. Yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> Depending on what story it was. <laughs> That's the thing. You can write, no matter how well you write, story's always going to trump writing style. So yeah. if the fucking story sucks, nobody's going to care how good it's written. Right. Like, it doesn't matter how well written it is. It's just, you have to have a good story, in my opinion. Yeah, because if the story is good, it can it can overshadow some of like the, the, the flaws. Uh, yeah. Well, we're pushing an hour here, so we should probably wrap this up. James, do you have... I would say advice, but I don't like doing that. Nobody likes giving advice. 
you got advice just from listening to the whole episode. Mm-hmm. How about we go to the promotion side of things? Do you you had a couple books? You said uh, you got one in the editing process. What would you like to promote? Go ahead. This is your uh, your time. I would love to promote my books. I'll I'll, I'll pick that. Mm-hmm. Um, as we mentioned before, I have four books out. I actually have a copy of each of them right here. Ice Rising. This is my this was my debut novel. Uh, ongoing series tells the story of a young man's uh, transformation from a young innocent child to ruthless criminal. Kind of has that Breaking Bad type thing where you understand part of you understands his motives, even though you don't condone his actions. And as you read the story, you will see him just become more and more ruthless of a character. So that that dissension into darkness type. Icebox is the sequel. So while Ice Rising is is Alexander Lincoln, that's the main ca- character. Alexander Lincoln's initial rise to power on the streets. Icebox takes us off the streets, puts us behind the walls of prison. Ooh. Alex, who now goes by Ice, hence the commonality of the titles, has got himself into some trouble, and now he's got to learn a new set of rules in a brand new environment. Uh, Ice Rain is the third book that is coming out very soon. Ice has gotten out of prison, and... Now he's faced with a whole new set of problems, possible new war on the street, while also reestablishing his relationships with his family after being incarcerated. Then there's my standalone, The Ballad Johnny Carlo, actually about two people, a mafia hitman and a homicide detective who meet, and once you know it, they fall in love, but then they're targeted by the same shadowy criminal organization that seeks to control all the organized crime in the U.S., and they're both at the top of their hit list. So will they walk into the sunset together? Or will they share a grave? That looks like a girthy book there. Yeah. Huh? That looks like a pretty girthy book there. This took, this was my second book. This took me 15 months to uh, to write. That's a cool cover, too. Yeah. Is that two people, like, back-to-back with, like, a split? Yeah, yeah. Uh, New York City oh, and New Orleans. triple split. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. And then Life's Dark Corners, five short stories, five epic tales of crime. What do they all have in common? Me. I wrote them. <laughs> so, <laughs> Murder. on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> They're all available on Amazon for paperback, Kindle, and Kindle Limited. Ballad Johnny Collar also has a hardcover. And for anybody that wants to reach me, uh, you can always check them all out at my website, jamesmichaelsbooks.com, which has my own personal email on there if you want a personalized signed copy from me uh, or if you just want to chat. And you can also sign up to my email subscription form on there. And I'm also on YouTube at James Michaels Books, TikTok at James Real Mike, Facebook at James The Real Mike. It's a play on my last name, Michael's Mike. Ah, I got you. Um, Twitter is at James Real Mike. And then, of course, my Instagram, which is James E. Michaels. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on. I did not expect we were going to be talking for a whole hour uh, just because I haven't read any of your books yet because yeah. I haven't got around to reading any of the stuff that I need to read. Yeah. But, uh, that's the problem. We always have guests on, and I think we've only ever read one guest's book by the time they were able to come on. Right. <laughs> like, like, usually, I think we've had a couple of people send us books, and they're like, hey, can we come on next week? I was like, sure, I'm not going to read your book in a week. Like, it's 800 pages. Um, I'll, definitely be, I'll definitely be checking out your stuff, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, we follow you on Instagram. I was going to say, do I follow you on anything? Yeah. probably following you on Twitter, too. But yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, for you fans who want to check out our stuff, you can... Go uh, at DPW Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Spencer's only fans this week is the Dakota Dirt Devil. 
Some, yes. So what does that mean? You're doing and I'm just cleaning stuff. Just cleaning stuff. Yeah, it's the dirt devil. Kind of wholesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's better than that <laughs> new uh, TikTok fad where everyone acts like an NPC and people pay them money. Oh, that's weird. It's annoying. I, I, why is that a thing I didn't know? Why can't I ever get ahead of the trend so I could do it and make money? How do you make $5,000 a day acting like an NPC from a video game? Anyway, we thank you for listening, and we will check you out next time. Ooh.